Hello everyone, you are listening to Black Adoptees Identities. I am your host, Christelle Pellicure, and I am a coach and a multidisciplinary creative. Please join me to explore what identity means for adult adoptees and how they form their identity for their own adoption journey. In this podcast, you will hear a variety of views from adult adoptees about their own experience of adoption and how adoption has impacted them and what lessons they have learned along the way. Please note that the guests have been courageous in sharing their stories and some of the content and subject matters can be emotionally challenging and distressing for some individuals. Please check the show notes for further details. Please use your own judgment whether to continue to listen or not and do look after yourself. And if you are affected by some of the issues discussed, please seek appropriate support and help. In this episode, I am in conversation with Stephanie Vannery, a voice and life coach from Canada. We discussed how adoption impacted her identity, the struggle and difficulty she and her brother encountered, birth family expectation, and the painful reality of price tag. Welcome to Black Adoptees Identities. I'm Crystal Pellicure, your host. I am super, super, super excited today. I've been looking forward to this chat with my guest. Uh, and my guest today is uh, Stephanie Vernery. Stephanie is a transracial adoptee born in Haiti and raised predominantly in a white rural community in Ontario, Canada. She was adopted at four months old by a French-Italian family, along with two other adopted siblings from Haiti and South Korea. Stephanie works as a voice and life coach, specializing in helping clients with anxiety and depression. She is passionate about empowering others to find their voice and build confidence, drawing from her own experience with transracial adoption, chronic illness, racism, sexism, weight loss, grief, and navigating unexpected life changes. Stephanie strives to create a safe and supportive space for individuals to embrace their journey and discover their true potential. Stephanie, welcome. Hi, Kristen. Yay! It has has arrived. It has happened. I'm super excited. Thank you. Finally. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I know that's quite a bit in your bio about you, but I always ask people to to introduce themselves from their own voice at the beginning of the show. So if there's anything you want to add from what I've just said about who you are and your adoption, uh, just tell us. Wonderful. So hello, my name is Stephanie Veneri, and uh, I'm 32 years old. And I was adopted from Haiti when I was four months old. Um, And I have a South Korean brother and another brother also from Haiti. So we were all adopted at young ages, uh, all four months old, 10 months old, eight months old. Uh, And we were adopted in Canada, which is quite a bit away from Haiti, a little bit far. Um, and predominantly white environments. My whole family's, you know, white except for the kids. So there's it's a journey. It's quite the journey to go through. But I'm really excited to talk about it. I think that uh, adoptees' voices need to be heard a little bit and just kind of explain the stories, explain what's going on. We're grateful. It's lovely. There are some challenges that I think that we can't avoid and we need to discuss because 
they're they're there. They're loud and they're important. And I think that people need to be aware of the struggles that we as adoptees have gone through in our lives. Definitely the struggle is there. And we, I suppose that's why we are here because we don't yeah. talk enough about it. So in terms of your identity, what, what are the struggles that's um, really impacted you uh, as you grow up and even as an adult that really impacted on your identity or as a person? Mm-hmm. I think one of them is being in a, in a predominantly white environment uh, as much as that's great. And there's culture in that sense for me, it was kind of like, I was a little bit of a show pony because there's a lot of schools that I was in that I was the only black person there. So not only are we dealing with racism and the fact that I'm new and black and they're like, Ooh, but if they saw my brother, or if they saw my parents and saw that we didn't actually look the same. So then there was questions about why I'm black and what is adoption, right? So there's a lot of things that, I've had to justify and explain myself every time. And every time someone asks the question just for their curiosity, I'm having to deal with a little bit of trauma because I'm having to talk about adoption. And there is a little bit of ad- abandonment issues that I think we all go through. There's nothing that we can, we can't really hide that. Um, there's also the fact that I'm looking around and there's no repre- representation. There's not a lot of people who look like me. And that is a little bit scary. It's a little bit daunting, right? If I'm looking, I was really into music and watching movies. So I would watch, you know, Whitney Houston on TV, a lot of black artists, a lot of people. And I was like, it's my girl, right? Yeah. That's my girl. Because I'm like, I I had, I was singing as well. So I liked her voice as well as she had sass and attitude and she was black. And it was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. So there's a lot of challenges that we had to go through in a predominantly white environment. Not to say that it wasn't, you know, grateful. I wasn't grateful for it, but there are some struggles that we had to go through as well. And having to repeat the racism that continued, 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 it was a challenge as well, especially when, when I was an adult as well. I also, I was kind of going into predominantly white places because that's what I felt comfortable with. That's what I knew. So I took it upon myself at some point to really just embrace my blackness, figure out what that was, figure out who I was, what was I missing? What was I longing for? And that could be you know, embracing blackness, but also embracing being an adoptee and what that means as well, because there's a journey and a story there too. Yeah, right. What, yeah. what that meant for you, uh, embracing your blackness and being an adoptee? Honestly, only started really embracing my blackness in the last little bit. I think that when you are seeing white people all the time around you, everywhere, in your family, in your school, in your community, you kind of forget you're different. You kind of forget that you are black. You kind of forget that there's a difference there. And I think that you kind of just want to assimilate with it to kind of not be standing out, which is hard because you you stand out. But um, there were parts where I kind of forgot that I was black. And I think that eventually I stopped thinking that and just was able to embrace culture, embrace my hair, embrace, you know, reaching out to other black people, which was something that I never really did. So there was a lot of things that I really had to do, read up on stuff, uh, just to be able to feel comfortable with who I am and my skin, you know? Yeah. And that's why it's so important to have that representation and having other people who look like us. Absolutely. (laughs) All around us. And I'm like super excited because I'm, you know, I've seen things about the Little Mermaid and how uh she's black and I'm like yes like yes. you know it's like we've been waiting for this it's it's 
it's scary when there's no representation because there's a feeling of loneliness. There's a feeling of, I don't belong. And that is lonely. Yeah. Right. Uh, and did you, did you think you belong to your adoptive family? Did you always have that feeling or the contrary? <laughs> yes and no. Yes and no. My, my, my parents were really good at not making me feel different in that sense, right? Where they would also <clears throat> be in the sense of like, oh, I, I don't think of you as different. I just think of you as my child, which is really good, which is amazing. But there are places in this world where people will see me differently, mm. right? There's a thing of colorblindness where we don't see color. We don't see um, the differences, which is a little bit of a, a protective state for a parent, for their child, which I understand, but not the, not, not the, the whole world isn't colorblind. So when we go into situations that people are not colorblind, it's traumatic, right? There are situations where I'm the only black person in a town. If I'm traveling, I'm the only black person in a high school. There are situations like that. And it's daunting. It really, really is. So my family did, my family did what they could in the situation. Um, but there are some struggles for sure that I didn't feel like I belonged. And that's, that's a that's a whole other journey as well, right? I know that my brother, uh, who's also from Haiti, felt the same way. Where there's just chance, there's just parts in in your life that you just don't feel like you belong because there's no representation and you're not embracing yourself yet. And you know, it's it's a it's a little bit scary, but we do the best we can. And they're all, you know, all of those struggles and things that I've gone through has made me who I am today, which has made mm. me a life coach to be able to help others and to let people just tell their story and be there to listen. Mm. I think that's one thing that people, you know, as adoptees that we don't really have the opportunity to get, you know, is to be heard. I think there's a lot of people who just assume things about adoptees and race for us. You must be thankful. You must be grateful oh my goodness, you probably would be dead if you weren't here. Jeez, thank God for that. And it's like, yes. Also, there's kind of like a little bit of mind reading that's happening where you're just telling me how I should be feeling instead of listening to how I should be feeling. Mm. And that is something that's happened throughout my life, um, which I want to change. I want to, mm. you know, and you as well, you're, you're creating a safe environment for people and adoptees to actually tell their story and be heard and be listened to, not feel judged and just be able to tell them, tell the journey that they've been on. Yes, absolutely. You know, yeah, I, I have a lot of this. <laughs> right. You just like, I just, I just see you taking like a really big breath. It's like, right. It's just yes, like, you feel you know, it, you know, exactly yeah. what it's like. Uh, are you not lucky being here? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. You know, yeah, right? the, times. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're so lucky. You're so grateful. Good for you. Your parents are so awesome for doing that and taking a child, you know, like all of those things. Exactly. It's right. It's, you're right. You're absolutely right. There are opportunities, but I could be grateful and still be sad at the same time. Yeah. And I think that people have a it. hard time believing that two things can be true at the same time. Yeah. And again, it's like, you're, you're telling me how I should feel instead of listening to how I feel. So that's, that's a, that was a big struggle. And I think still to this day that happens. Um, and I know that my brother also felt that way as well. So it's, you, you, you do what you can, <laughs> you do what you can. Did it make a difference having your brother from Haiti as well in terms of um, 
that representation, also your identity as uh, being from the same country as him? Yeah, I'm super thankful for him because he was the only representation I had in my in my town or in the house as well. So I remember with the time where we were the only two black kids in a school and we weren't in the same grade or anything, but it was like it was daunting and it was scary. But the bell would ring and we switched classes and I would see him and he'd give me a little wink. And I was like, OK, mm-hmm. he's he's there. We're good. I'm safe. So there's a lot of opportunities that had come that we felt safe because we hung out together. So we danced a lot, we performed together. We went to the same school a few times. So there was a lot of those where I was just like thank- thankful for that representation. And there was also the longing and the grieving of us not being in Haiti anymore, as grateful and as wonderful as it is that we're in Canada, there was always like, oh, the what ifs. So him and I would talk about the what ifs. What if we were still there? What would we be doing? Would we still be doing music? Would we be dancing? Mm-hmm. Who's our family? Who Do we look like our mom? Do we look like our dad? There's all of those longing questions. And I think he was the only one who kind of understood that, right? Yeah. So that was that was really, really, I'm really grateful for him. And unfortunately, he um, passed away in November um i'm so sorry for that and i know you it's still very hard for you so i'm really grateful that you do share with us his story i know it's still painful for you Mm. well thank you so much for allowing me to share my story as well as his he's not here to share his story and i know that he most definitely struggled with identity um i think it's it's we have to watch how we present adoption to children i think we have to watch how we present the actual truth. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a time where my brother was told, you know, in Haiti that unfortunately he was found in a dumpster, right? Someone had put him in a dumpster. We had no information. We had no birthday. And then someone brought him to the orphanage. And as sad of a story as that is, he never got over that. Yeah. Right. How do you get over that and not having an identity, not feeling like you belong, not feeling like you were wanted with no real birthday? Right. So he was longing to figure out what would his birthday be? You know, oh, is it is there a blood test that I can take to find out if there's, you know, how where my birthday is? And it was like, unfortunately not. And the problem with that is back then it was quite shut down. It was quite not discussed. We didn't really want to talk about that. It was the past. This is that was the journey. And now you're here and things are better. We should be grateful. But how are you grateful if where you're starting is just, there's no roots, there's no connection, there's no identity. And that was something that really, that he struggled with his whole entire life until his death, Mm. right? There's, there was mental health that was part of that as well as drug addiction, because when you have all these questions and anxieties and you have no answers and you have no one who can give you those answers or make you feel better, you turn to something else. So he turned to, to addiction unfortunately and he was addicted to drugs and that's what happened and that was the journey and he unfortunately passed away at the age of 33 of a drug overdose and uh it shatters you it shatters you not even there's no blood relation but he was my brother through and through and uh that's why we're here to Mm -hmm. to tell those stories to say hey these are the struggles these are the problems that happen with adoptees and wanting to feel grateful, but also grieving what they don't know. And that's something that we need to understand. 
And yeah, and that's come back very often. Not knowing yeah. is so hard for mm-hmm. adoptees to mm-hmm. to get over. Not you know, not knowing your culture, not knowing mm-hmm. where you're coming from, not knowing who your mother is, who's the person yeah. that's given birth to you. It's yeah. it's yeah. a real struggle, and I think. Mm-hmm. From people who have not been adopted, it's very difficult to understand and to to see what is the deal everybody keeps going on about. Yeah. Not knowing, yeah. but it is yeah. a big deal. And, yeah. and we also don't talk enough about how many people, how many adoptees are affected by this mm-hmm. and not continuing to struggle sometimes. I know the mm-hmm. yeah, the amount of death of adoptees is is quite high. It's very uh, high, unfortunately. But we don't talk we don't talk about those mm-hmm. issues widely enough mm-hmm. fortunately mm-hmm. and i'm sure your brother would be very proud of you having to oh. carry on <laughs> don't wait. i was doing voice. i was <laughs> i was doing so well christelle i was not crying <laughs> things were good you can't tell me those things um yes i i know he is very proud of you and um especially for telling his story because i know it's not easy and i am super grateful for you uh to be able to share this with me so thank Thank you you. oh that's uh that's it's i miss him i miss him every day um i'm sure every time i do work every time i'm working or i'm with a client and we're talking about transracial adoption it's just like yeah i understand i get it david felt the same way you know Mm -hmm. so there's i i miss him but i'm really really excited that i'm able to we were able to change that narrative and be able to have a place where these adoptees feel safe to talk to talk to us about that so that we can you know, we can talk about addiction, we can talk about mental health, we can talk about the struggles and not feel like we have to be grateful and that's it, right? And also to know that, you know, there are other adoptees out there struggling with the same thing. And I think Mm -hmm. this is very often when we are in that space of not feeling good about ourselves, we shut down the world completely and Mm -hmm. we think we are the only person who's going through this. And Mm -hmm. I, I think... It does help a little bit to know that, you know what, there's someone out there who's going for the same thing as me. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can't reach out until yeah. it's too late. Absolutely. Like the journey that I'm on right now through Instagram and finding, you know, other transracial adoptees and finding that community found it when I was like 29, 30 years old. And it was like, where was this when we were 14? You know, this would have made us feel so much better if we would have known that there are other people feeling this way who have these unexplained emotions as well, because you can't really pinpoint the feeling of loss or grief or something like that, that you haven't for something or someone that you don't know, right? That's a really struggling, challenging emotion and feeling to be part of. And the thing is, is that there's a lot of us that feel that way. So I'm really thankful that we're able to talk about this now. And there's a community. There's a lot of us. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of us around the world, mm. right? You and I connected that way. It was like, hey, you're also a transracial adoptee. Yes. Let's <laughs> chat, right? It was like, exactly. you too, right? Mm. So I think, I think that for me, the biggest thing is I wish that my brother was alive to be part of that community because I think he would have felt really at peace knowing that he wasn't the only black male in a predominantly white environment struggling with these, tra- with these, you know, challenges and struggles yeah and I also feel like sometimes with men they've also got their own other issues to deal with Mm -hmm. um, as an adoptive because you know 
men are always told to be strong, to be, mm-hmm. you know, don't cry and all those things that we society teaches about. So that's yes. make it even harder yeah. for men to even confide yeah. into someone else because on the exterior they have to show that they're strong, even if they are Absolutely. you know inside they are falling apart. Even yeah. if they are falling apart inside. Absolutely. Mm. That's so true. Right. There's you're especially with men, it's don't cry, but also be logical, right? We don't we men tend to not really start off by thinking with their the emotional side. That's usually a woman's thing. But so men are really told to be logical. And adoption is logical, but it's also not. It's very emotional. And we have to tap into that feeling. And if you're not allowed to, then you're then you end up just kind of being alone feeling those things and you think it's wrong. Yeah. I know for sure that he sometimes felt that way as well. So there's those emotions that we need to be able to feel to to have a safe space, a safe space to be able to talk about the struggles, talk about the emotions that are going on, not even knowing what to pinpoint what emotion is called to to feel the way that we're feeling. So we want to be able to have a safe space to be able to do that. You know. Wow, that's a, it's a it was heavy. Know, it's a we heavy went heavy right, right there. I know, yeah. right from the start. <laughs> so let's talk about Haiti. Um, have you been back? Have you connected again? So that's a that's a whole other journey. Um, yes, I went back. So my brother and I, my mom took us to Haiti when I was around three years old. Um, so he would have been five. Uh, so we went for a week or so and we ended up just seeing the country and meeting with some of my biological family, my birth mom, and I have birth siblings as well, brother and sisters. And um, so I ended up meeting them when I was three, which I don't really remember. Um, <laughs> I remember pictures. I remember being like, oh, my mom and I look alike. You know, there's a lot of similarities, which is which is crazy at the same time and scary, but amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's that longing for that birth relationship. Um, and for David, unfortunately, there wasn't any information that we had, so there was no uh, birth family to go visit, but we did go and visit the country. Um, and that was the last time I was there. I wish to go back at some point just to just to see the country as an adult, I think would be really important and the culture and my husband wants to come with me. Uh, and he's a very white Scottish man. So he will stick <laughs> out and it'll be okay. Cause I'll be by his side, but uh, we do want to go back and birth family is, is, is tricky is tricky because you long for it. You want that. An- you want those answers. You want that information. Sometimes when you get it, it's not what you hoped it would be. I think we build it up so much with the unknown. And then when it happens, there's a little bit of a letdown, unfortunately, when there are expectations that are made of you or, you know, um, where I think in Haiti, it's very, very common for a child to be adopted in the States or Canada. And when they do get older, they are to support help support their families back in Haiti. And for me, as as beautiful as that is, that is a lot of pressure to put on a four-month-old who didn't make that choice to head to Canada and leave Haiti. So it was in 2015, my birth brother found me on Facebook 
and we there was full of emotions and it was beautiful there was a little bit of reunion and then it went to i need money i need a cell phone our mother is sick that is your responsibility because you have gotten away and you are you have money and you should be helping out with that mm. and there's guilt and there's pressure and you and you, you don't really know where to to kind of stand with that and the problem with that as well is as that's happening I have my family here who's like, be careful, don't give them money, be careful, you're ours, right? That was said to me, you're ours, which is <clears throat> beautiful. But again, I end up just being kind of, I'm like a thing, I'm like a show pony. I don't have emotions. It's just the tug of war between two families. And that is a really challenging thing. Um, so I had to step back from my birth family a little bit because the pressure and the guilt was getting to me where I couldn't even sleep, where it was like, there's this expectation that I should be helping these people out. And it was a really, it was a big challenge for me. And I haven't fully made my peace with that and to, as to what I want to do. And that is another struggle with some adoptees as well, is some of them are longing to find their birth family. No matter what it is, I want to find my birth family. I want to see what I look like. I want to see if I have, if I look like my mom, I look like my brother, I look like my siblings, all that kind of stuff, which is great. But there are some repercussions that do come with that reunion that we also need to talk about. Absolutely. And I am 100% with you about it. Right. I, I went through a very similar situation with my birth family. Uh, I went back to Madagascar in 2010. You know, very emotional reunion, uh, very happy to be back. But the expectation was too much for me. And yeah. like you, I had to distance myself as well uh, with family. Oh, I mean, I go in and out for periods, yeah. you know, sometimes we talk, but other time we have to to stay away because it's too much. You know, um, you know that expectation that because you're in the West, you have this you're lying on gold <laughs> and um, they're like you you're rich let's you go can, yeah <laughs> you can support everybody and um, yeah. you know I was just about to support myself and my own daughter yeah. um yeah. there was no way I could fully support them uh but I know that you know my brother passed away my birth brother passed mm -hmm. away last summer but there was that guilt again you know I, I absolutely know that guilt for the last even now I'm still grieving his death and uh, and that guilt feeling like I could have done more mm -hmm. for my family. I could have been there to support them. Um, but at the same time, at some point you have to, I think you have to separate yourself and think about what is the best for me right now. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're not able to, to put ourselves fully into you know, that relationship, I think it's better to to stay to keep our distance and mm -hmm. like you at the moment this is a, the journey where I am it might yeah. change in, in a few years time for um, sure but it's it's not easy um, no yeah it's not easy that that expectation mm -hmm. and like you say it's not only the expectation from the birth family it's also the expectation from your adoptive family yeah it's it's uh it's it's a big struggle for yeah. sure. And we will continue to feel that guilt that we could have done more and all these types of things. But you, like you said, you have to put yourself first. And for me, I, 
such a people pleaser, such a, you know, making sure that everybody's okay and me doesn't matter where that had to switch because I wasn't able to help anybody if I didn't help myself first. I think that that was really important. And one of the things for me is I wish that those boundaries on telling my story when I was a kid, you know, when you, you're, you're 10 and someone's like, you're black, your family's white, what's going on? And then it's like, well, I'm adopted. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Oh, I was given up by my birth family. Oh, so your mom wasn't want, your mom didn't want you. Mm-hmm. And it's really entertaining because kids have no filter. So they are just telling you how they feel in the moment. And it's like, well, yeah, I guess, Tommy, that is the story. And every time I'm having to tell the story for someone's curiosity, there's trauma, there's a trigger. Mm -hmm. And I wish that I was taught, you know, early on to have those boundaries and say, you know what, I don't really want to talk about that today. I don't really want to discuss adoption or racism today. I just kind of want to be me, you know? Um, And that was not discussed. So there was constantly people everywhere from schools and families and in dance class and singing and all these things where people are like, tell me about your adoption. Tell me about what it's like to be in a white family, right? And there's, there's that expectation that you are to fulfill someone's curiosity. But at the same time, we're dealing with the trauma of having to remember and talk about the abandonment issues and all of those things again. Mm -hmm. So again, it's to make sure that those boundaries are set up and to protect yourself and not feel like you owe the world your story and you get to tell your story if you choose to. And I know that I felt that way. And I know that my brother felt that way as well, right? In school and all of these situations where people are just like, tell me about you because you're new and I've never seen you before and your hair is fun. So I'm going to dig my head in my hands into it without permission. You know, like those are just things that have happened multiple times. Mm. So there's, it's a lot. And there's that expectation that you are to fulfill that. I mean, there's also the expectation that, I think our adoptive family thinks that, you know, we can we can just assimilate ourselves mm-hmm. into this environment uh, without no preparation, mm-hmm. no learning about <laughs> this culture that we've never known before. Uh, and I think for a child, that is a lot to, to deal with. And I don't think, yeah, adoptive family don't realize. I mean, I've had recently I've had a conversation with my mother and you know she didn't think that it was important to suppose to to prepare us prepare mm-hmm. us to what was coming what's we're going to be facing and putting in place those boundaries and like you're talking mm-hmm. about um yeah. so we're not prepared we're not prepared no. and that is a problem um it's a, a huge problem adoption. yeah it's a huge problem and that's something with the community that i've you know heard about is just that that's a that's a struggle is the boundaries mm-hmm. and being able to say I don't feel like talking about my story or I don't feel like talking about how I don't blend in with my family mm-hmm. and that's one thing is your parents do what they can and they give you love and they try not to teach they, they try not to raise you differently you're their child and it's beautiful but also you know my dad's a twin my dad has a biological twin that are born on the same day so there's that family there is the 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 biological side of that so they don't really understand how we could feel differently when not having any birth family they they do what they can to make us feel like we belong but there's some struggles there too and i think for me i think the most important thing is adoptive parents 
need to be able to have a safe space for their kids to be able to talk about their journey, talk about their struggles and not have it be shut down and not have it be, well, aren't you grateful that things are different and things are better? Aren't you grateful that you want, you know, that you were found in a dumpster, but you're here now and things are great. Yes. Love it. However, here's what I miss. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm struggling with. And we need to be able to be heard. We need to, we need to be heard. And that's, yeah. that's a big challenge that I've heard multiple times. And the other side to that is also, I mean, ask questions as well for me, because mm-hmm. I know that for a lot of adoptees, the trauma has caused numbness. So they're not even able to talk. So it's, you know, for me, it's a responsibility of the adopt, adoptive family to ask questions to the child, because if you see that child is not talking and being numb, there is an issue there. There's a problem there for sure. Mm, so, Absolutely. And I think, yeah, I mean, a lot of people want to talk, but a lot of people have suppressed their emotions so much, mm-hmm. try to forget mm-hmm. what's happened that they, mm-hmm. they become so numb to life. So, yeah, it, it is about listening, but also mm-hmm. asking questions. And well, absolutely. Curious, yeah. And the, and the thing is, is there's the curiosity from the world, the community, going to school, everybody's asking questions, and then you go home and you're wishing they asked those questions and those aren't being asked. Mm-hmm. So that's a struggle as well. And I think another thing is, how much information is too much information in the sense of your adoption story? You know, I have, there's, okay, found in a dumpster, no real birthday. That's That's his real story. Could that have been prettied up a little bit until he was a little bit older to understand what that meant I would think so absolutely because that was something that he couldn't get over um and I remember asking my mom actually not too long ago I just said to her I was curious I said why did you choose Haiti why did you choose to adopt uh from Haiti and it was well we couldn't have kids biologically biologically so we adopted and Haiti was cheap and we needed a ch- we wanted a child right away and you were six thousand dollars wow that's so painful. that's painful <laughs> yes I can I can't feel it I'm sorry um, um, and this is a problem you know adoption mm-hmm. is a big business yeah it's, well, it's a, a money business. maker it's yes. a money maker for sure but and putting we, a price tag to a child, this is, uh, I don't even have words for it. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> Knowing your worth, you know, I'm like, I want to know my worth. And as an adult, I want to know my worth. But like $6,000 is, Mm-mm. it's tough. Yeah. And, I, and those are things that like, should we discuss those with the children? Should we talk about that? Or is that something that we can kind of leave you know, it, you know, if you're having a biological child and they end up being, it's not, it's an unplanned pregnancy. Do you tell your child that they were an accident, but you know, they're here and it's lovely, like same type of thing where there's things that we can maybe not discuss. Mm. So knowing my worth at four months old from Haiti in a cheap country is, is a challenging thing to, to get around as an adoptee. Yeah. I can't say that. I, I mean, I can't feel when you say that. <laughs> that price, right. I was like, wow. Okay. I, I don't know mine and I don't want to know, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Would you, would you, do you think that's information that you would want to know about? No. Mm. No, because I think for me personally, I struggle with um, self-worth. 
mm. all my life. And if I had to know how much it costs, that will shatter me even more. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm sure other adoptees have known how much they it costed to get them <laughs> to the country. Um, yeah. But... Yeah. Mm, that's an interesting one. I, it's a, I've it's actually a, it's a spoken to anyone about the price tag before. Uh, so that's a new mm. one for me. So oh, interesting. Me. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I felt like, I think that this is just, I feel so safe and this is such a safe space. And like you said, we spoke once and there was an instant connection of just being able to share each other's stories and understand. And there was no judgment and just like no words, just a nice nod that says mm-hmm. a lot to me. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just like, there are no words needed, just a, yeah. get, goes a long way. And I'm happy that I feel safe enough to talk about that stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is by no means a place for me to bash people and judge my uplifting and you know all of this stuff it's just this is my journey this is my brother's journey this is our story this is what happened mm-hmm. and especially for my brother where I have a start to finish of 33 years of what went right what went wrong and how we got here and it starts with adoption it stems from that from the very beginning and I'm sure he is not the only one who's who's dealt with that and dealt with those struggles and feelings. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be discussed. We need to be able to talk about the things that have been said to us that hit, that hit a nerve that really gets us and makes us feel emotional and makes us feel super confused about things. And the price tag was one of them for sure. Yeah. And he had to the trauma, you know, (laughs) before the the number of trauma when you (laughs) arrive and the things that being said to us as you grow mm-hmm. up add even more to that trauma and mm-hmm. I think that's where adoptive parents are not always aware what no. the weight of the words mm-hmm. into children mm-hmm. can create mm-hmm. and I think that that's part of it is the adoptive parents are they equipped to yeah. have a you know a transracial child is that is that something that they're ready to did they are they embracing blackness? Are they embracing different cultures? Are they reading books on how to talk to children who are adopted? All of those types of things. And I don't know if that's a requirement. Back in the 90s, probably not. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> right? There's social workers that go to the house and say, are you fit to uh, adopt children? And they go, yeah, give you the go ahead. Things are good. But I don't know if that lady ever comes back to see if no you've embraced the culture and things are good and they're being heard and listened to I'm not sure and I think that that's one of the biggest challenges that we if transracial adoption is still going to continue today is we need to make sure that these adoptive parents are equipped to handle children who are adopted and might have questions and might have some emotions that you're not prepared to hear Mm, absolutely I mean it should be mandatory to have training uh, and that training should change depending where the child Mm -hmm. comes from um because i would imagine in in your family's case children from iet would have a different need from a child from korea so you know your parents should have had two completely different training in that case but yeah if it is like my adoptive parents i know they didn't receive nothing uh, Mm -hmm. at all um and I actually found out recently that my adoption paper got signed within three months, which is an of. So that also made me feel like, were they really desperate to get rid of me? <laughs> you know, yeah. and this question that it keeps mm-hmm. still 
fixed it popping up in in my life yeah. at the moment i thought like okay i know everything about my adoption mm-hmm. no there's still things today keep still up. today as an adult that we're starting we're like figuring out you know and that's that's a whole other type of trauma as well right it's like we thought we got we got that out of us you know as kids and teens and then as an adult you're just like oh okay that's I can still have those feelings and those emotions about information that I found Mm. um you know the whole and my my entire adoption story has changed multiple times as to why I was put up for adoption you know it was like oh this is what happened and your mother couldn't take care of you and your dad had just passed away and this is what happened and it was like oh that's really sad and But as I was connecting with my birth brother, I found out that that was not the case at all. He wasn't dead. He just was gone. I have eight or nine other siblings on his side. And all of this is being thrown at me like on Facebook Mm -hmm. where you're just like, whoa, because Mm -hmm. for such a long time, this is the story that I had. This is the story that was told to me. And this is the story that I told others because that's what I knew. And then that was completely turned around and it takes a moment to shake that off. And then I have eight or nine siblings trying to add me on Facebook and be like, hello, hello, let's reach out. And whoa, <laughs> I, I just found out that you were here. So give me a little moment to take a breath. Mm. Right. And again, there was that expectation, help support us. I want to come to Canada. I want to do this. I want to do this. I need a phone. I need this. And there was a lot of demands that I just wasn't ready. I wasn't equipped to handle and to deal with at the moment. So that had to be pushed aside until I can figure out what I needed, what I wanted and what was best for me at the time. Wow. This is a journey. It is a journey. And um, I'm sure when you talk next time, <laughs> there'll be other things. Uh, they will be, di- things will be different. There'll be another story. There'll be other things. It just, yeah. you, it's just a completely, you just keep learning about yourself all the time as an adoptee. Mm. Learning and unlearning. You know, I keep saying to people, it's a, it's a journey of learning and unlearning. And yep. yeah, it's, absolutely. It's a long one. It is. It is. It never Ooh. ends. But if you can go through those journeys, not alone, things will get a little bit better to just be able Absolutely. to talk about it freely mm-hmm. and not be judged or questioned, just listened to, just heard. Yeah. You know, I can't speak. We we both can't speak a lot. <laughs> we could talk about, like, this could be four hours. It will not be, but it, it could, could be. be. There's just so much information. For the whole day. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe you have to come back to to the podcast at some point. Part two. Yes, to be exactly. continued part yes. two. Yeah. I, need to, I need to invite yeah. you again. Yeah, but absolutely. Before, before you go, I, I've got one last question yes. um, that I ask everybody. Okay. If you had to give an advice to your younger self or to a young adoptee, what that would be? Oof. I think the biggest there that's a that's a oof that's a deep question that's a that's a good one um for me I think it would be trust the process trust yourself I think one of the things that you get scared of as a child or as a teen is oh I don't belong this is not going to work my life is not going to be what I want it to be mm-hmm. and to be honest it is right now it is what I want it to be and I'm really happy with who I am and myself and if I can talk to young staff, I'd be like, girl, be patient, trust the process because it's worth it. And you're going to be okay. That was, that would be something that I would tell younger me and my younger brother as well, or my 
younger David at the time as well is just trust the process and don't be afraid to be who you are because that was something that mm. you can get you can't get past do I fit it do do I fit in do I belong do I stick out like a sore thumb all of these things and it's like and then you kind of you try to you try to shelter yourself a little bit and not be so out and about about it so that would be for me is to trust the process because things are gonna things are gonna be okay thank you well yeah. that's so great advice thank you so much where can uh, people follow you or find you you are are a coach so if uh, any of our listeners need a voice coach or life coach uh, all of the coaching (laughs) (laughs) Uh, they can find me on instagram uh as for stephanie uh it's just at stephanie s-t-e-f-f-f-a-n-y that is my stage name so they can follow me on instagram and i have my website also linked to that which is stephanary.com and you can read about my profile you can see some pictures and just see what i'm about what we work on for voice coaching and life coaching as well and then you can book a session with me on the website um so thank you so much for allowing me to do this and to just being someone that i, I just feel super comfortable with talking about real life things oh, it's been an absolute pleasure and I like i say it. you have to come back i will come back part two <laughs> dot 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 part two oh, all about it different so outfit much. of course but yes <laughs> oh, thank goodness. you so much next time so- we'll have to probably maybe we do a youtube special review okay and, and we do i'm ready a longer session let's Absolutely. do it <laughs> if people if i mean if this if someone heard something today that kind of rings true to them and they want to hear more than absolutely I'm willing to do this I'm, I'm I'm at a point now that I'm really willing to talk about that story and not be reserved and shy this is my journey this is my story and if I can help someone else who's struggling or who's not quite there yet then I've done my job well you are doing your job and thank, thank you so you. much for being here and being you, thank you and for representing your brother as well so thank you so so thank much you. and thank you for letting me talk about him I, it felt it felt really good to talk about him have a good day and um, speak soon thank you bye this is Christelle Pellecure and you have been listening to Black Adoptees Identities, where Black adult adoptees share their stories. Please do share and subscribe to our podcast and do stay connected with us by following us on Instagram at Black Adoptees Identities. Thank you for listening to this week's episode and until next time, goodbye.